Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service and the occasional interview or ministry resource. We hope you'll subscribe. Now, here's today's message. Today's scripture reading is Galatians 6, verses 11 through 14. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square and happy Mother's Day. We are still in the midst of this pandemic, but I really do believe we're going to one day be able to look back at this time and say, whoa, that was a really difficult and challenging and hard time. Even though... It's hard to see God's goodness right now. It doesn't mean that it's not there. I was talking to Jenny Yoon, our Director of Community Life at Lincoln Square, and she referenced a children's book a couple weeks ago called The Moon is Always Round. And in it, the authors try to tell us that God's goodness is like the moon. That on any given night, sometimes the moon looks like it's only half a moon or a crescent moon or no moon at all. That doesn't mean that the moon has changed its shape. That doesn't mean that just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's gone. The moon is always round and God is always good, even when the light seems dim. 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, God is too good to be unkind and he's too wise to be mistaken. So when you cannot trace his hand, you must trace his heart. If you right now are having a hard time tracing God's hand, we must trust His heart. And the best way to do that is to see His nature. And our text that we have before us today is here to help. That This is a place where we can see God's heart. Where we are in the text, Paul is wrapping up his book to the Galatians, his letter to the Galatians, in the last chapter. And now he's writing in his own hand. If you look at verse 11... He usually uses a scribe, but he's saying, look at such what large letters I'm writing in. And he's doing that for a couple of reasons. One, it's because it's a way to show the people that he really was the author of this letter. But the other reason why is he's trying to be demonstrative. He's writing in large emotional letters to say, please, if you get nothing else from this letter, please get this. It's sort of like when you write a message in all caps and you're kind of wanting people to kind of really get what you're trying to say. Paul is saying, this is the main point. This is the summary. If you get nothing else, get this, that it's about boasting. We want to see God's heart, and we are going to tonight, today. And we're going to see this in three ways. What the world boasts in, how we should be boasting, and what happens if we boast in this way. I'll say that again. What does the world boast in? How should we be boasting? And then, what would it look like? What happens if we boast in this way? So first, how does the world boast? 
And Paul jumps right into it and look at verse 12. He locates at least two motives for why these individuals who have been trying to convince this church and this Galatian church to use outward religious traditions and symbols of circumcision as a sign of faith. He says the real motive behind it, one, it's to impress them, but the second reason is to avoid persecution themselves. And then if you move on to the next line, verse 13, he says they want to boast. They want to have gotten you to add to what it means to be a Christian. Now, this word boast for Paul is very uh, important to him. He uses it a lot in a lot of his letters. In a lot of the key passages of his letters, First and Second Corinthians, it's in Romans 5.11, it's in Philippians 3.3, 3, Ephesians 2.9, basically all the main passages. He talks about boasting. And yet, the Greek word here is really hard to kind of get it at its essence. That the word, the English word we use here, boast, doesn't capture the precise equivalent of what Paul's trying to get at. It's less about being a braggart or being someone who's cavalier or arrogant. It's more about what one boasts in. It's what one glories in, what one trusts in, what one rejoices in. So it's less about one's character and more about the object of our character, the thing that fills our mind, the thing that fills our dreams. One commentary said it's, it's our obsession. In college, I was a history major, and I had a lot of friends who were English majors, and they used to boast that their classes were more difficult than mine. Of course, if you were a microbiology major, you're kind of laughing at both of us right now, but they would boast. And so I said, all right, I'll take one of your English classes and show you that I can do it better than you because I wanted to boast. So we took a Shakespeare class and I wrote my thesis on Shakespeare's Henry V play, particularly the St. Crispin Day speech that Henry says to try to get his troops rallied and ready to charge the field at great o- against great odds. They were outnumbered at the Battle of Ashencourt five to one. And the speech is this the speech that he's trying to appeal to these individuals to say, let's go. And I've actually memorized it. It's, you know, what's he that wishes so, my cousin Westmoreland? Nay, my, my fair cousin, if we are marked to die, uh, it, it, if we are enough to do our country loss, but to live the greater few, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. And you know, it goes on, and I, you know, you're kind of like, why is Michael reciting Shakespeare? He's trying to impress us, and I'm just trying to show you how subtle boasting can be. But what's the point? Shakespeare is trying to show us potentially how Henry would have motivated his people, and it's always through pride. He's saying, be brave, right? God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. And if you live, the greater share of honor. See, what is that? That's, that's saying that you're going to get. It's your accomplishments. It's, what, it's your deeds. It reminds me actually a lot of how various sports teams, before they play each other, players on each team try to rally the other, you know, their, their, their friends, the people on their teammates, and they try to say, hey, we're, we're bigger, we're better, we're not going to let these guys push us around, we're going to uh, prove ourselves and go out and win this. What, see, what is that? Paul is saying that's how the world boasts. It's always in something or someone. The goal is to impress. Mothers on Mother's Day. What happens? 
We're told we need to be everything to everyone. We need to be the best mom, the most fun, busy but not too busy, smart but interesting. Get everything done but look like we're doing it effortlessly. And then we can boast. Others of you are, you know, the reason why you can boast is how many companies you've made or how much money you've made or what you've accomplished. Look how much I've done. See, that's, that's how the world works. But at the end, that becomes a disaster because what happens when you can't produce? What happens if people can't see what a great mother you are? What if people can't see your accomplishments? See, I think being shut in right now is shutting off a lot of the traditional ways that we have gone about to feel like we knew who we were. That the way the world boasts is going to end in disaster anyway because if you were successful this year, how are you going to be successful next year? I have, to, I have to keep trying harder and go more and perform more. And if you weren't successful, if you failed, now I have to try harder. Now I have to, now I have to be better, do more. But what if you can't do more? Right? A lot of folks here, are calling, they call themselves a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then you know, I just also really, really work really hard, put myself into that. Oh, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we throw ourselves into these various forms of power and approval and comfort and control and, and basically just things that I can put in my life to know that I'm worthwhile. But Paul is saying, if you say, I believe in Jesus, but then plus circumcision, that's not Christianity. If you say you believe in Jesus plus wealth creation, that's not Christianity. If you say, I believe in Jesus, but I also need to be a good person, that's still not Christianity. Underneath all of that boasting is always a plus something, Jesus plus. Paul's saying Christianity is no, that's not it. It's if you believe and you're accepted, that's it. If you bring anything else to the table, you're just going to use it to bludgeon other people with. I was good, why can't you be? I lived up to the standard, why can't you? I mean, that's not the gospel. That's I obey and therefore I'm accepted. The gospel is no, I'm already accepted now. Now I want to obey. See, the false teachers were telling these Galatians, these Galileans, believe and obey and then you'll be saved. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. It's, it's believe and be saved and now you might, now you'll want to obey. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response or Q&R after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and other members of our church community. If you have questions about today's message, send an email to lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our Sunday worship service. Now, here's the remainder of today's teaching. So what are you boasting in right now? It needs to be the question we ask ourselves. What are the standards of our society that we're living by that we're, to make ourselves feel worthwhile? That we, that we use to hold our head up high. See, you need to start with what you think life is worth living for. I think a lot of us have that. And that, look into that, and often that's what we're boasting in. Now, that's what the world boasts in. But Paul also tells us that, okay, how, what are we to boast in? How are we to boast? And he tells us the next verse, verse 14. He sounds very dignified. He says, may I never boast except in the cross. And that's actually a little too dignified for Paul, uh, if you go into the Greek, it's much more demonstrative. He basically is saying, if I can translate it, he's saying, may I never, ever, 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 ever 
do what? Boast except in the cross. Now, notice something. Paul's saying boasting is not the problem. Right? Boasting is not the problem. It's what we boast in. Right? He could have boasted in his popularity, in his intellect, his appearance, his influence. But we've already walked through those things. The problem with any of those is that you can lose them at any given time. You can lose your appearance. You can lose your influence. You can lose your production, your job performance. So when you put yourself in any of those things over a lifetime, they don't ever really quite work out. No, he says, I boast in only the cross. Nothing but the cross. And, and yet the power there, it just sounds very pious to us. That's because we're living 2,000 years later. But put yourself in, into his, his shoes. The cross was an unspeakable thing. The crucifixion was something Romans didn't even talk about. It, it, was, it was language unfit for civilized culture. It was that degrading. It was that disgraceful. And yet Paul has the audacity to say, I'm going to put this thing that the whole rest of the world it hides from and is shameful to them. And he says, I'm going, to put that, I'm going to put that at the center of my life. And so this is what we need to get at. You're, you're, we have, I think, forgotten how offensive this really is. That the world says, hey, pick anything else. Pick your popularity and your intellect and your influence. And those are things that you can do. But the cross is saying the opposite. It's saying, no, you can't do. The cross means it took the very death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the maker of heaven and earth, to deal with your sins, our misplaced boasts. And if you believe in Him, in Him alone, then you're accepted. And so if you're listening carefully right now, you'll realize this is actually fairly offensive. I've had college students come up to me when I used to work with college students and just, they're spitting angry. They're like, why does Jesus have to die? Why couldn't he just love us? Is always the phrase. And I try to gently say, okay, what does it look like for Jesus to love you? Because if you're walking along this, you know, Riverside Park, and Jesus walked up to you and said, let me show you my love, and jumped into the river, we would say, that's not loving. Now, if you were already in the river drowning, and he jumped in to save you and died at, at, you know, the cost of his life, then we would say, oh, He loved us. Why? Because there's an unwritten rule here that love is always costly. And so I always push back. I say, what does it cost your God to love you? And there's actually another line of inquiry in there, which is where do you think you're actually at? Are you standing in Riverside Park or are you drowning? Because only drowning people need a Savior. Only drowning people need Him in this way. And if you admit that, then you're going to boast in nothing else. Everyone else is boasting their accomplishments. Christians boast in His accomplishment for you. Everybody else boasts in their joy. We boast in the fact that He made us His joy. When you boast in Christ, what you're boasting in is the opposite of what the world is saying. Because what you're essentially saying is, look what I can't do. Look what I couldn't do. And so when you boast in Him, you're essentially saying, I need Him to do this for me. You see, what you need to realize is that only lost people can really, really be found. Only, you have to know you're lost first before you go looking for one to find you. That's why when you know that you're weak, it's not just an intellectual exercise to talk about the cross. It, that weakness becomes strength. 
I think this is why if you strip every all the pleasantries away from um, people or even ideas, you'll realize that everybody hates the cross. Because when you get down at the essence, the world has something to boast in. Capitalism boasts in money. Socialism in people. Conservatism in the past. Progressivism in the future. Every philosophy, every theory, every religion, everything that you hold right now, every government, every movement screams, do this to be saved. If you're a good person, you try hard, and you do these things, and ultimately the cross says no. Those isms cannot fix the wrongs. They can't, they can't bring back the dead. They can't heal the broken. In Lord of the Rings, this is well put, when at the very end, it's all over. Sam thought Frodo was going to live a long life in, in, at their home, and this is what he has to say when he realizes Frodo's leaving. With tears streaming down his eyes, he says, I thought you were going to enjoy the Shire for years and years. After all you've done, Frodo replied, so I thought too once. But I have been too deeply hurt, Sam. The Shire has been saved, but not for me. It must often be so, Sam, when, when things are in danger, someone has to give them up, lose them, so others keep them. Someone has to give them up, lose them, so others keep them. And Paul is saying Jesus gave them up so that we might keep them. God wanted us to have laughter, and so he was sad. God wanted us to have renewed bodies, and so his was broken. God wanted us to live, and so he died. That is what's offensive. You can't do, you won't do, and yet you were accepted. And all you have to do is accept and take because you can't merit this yourself. Now, accepting is both easy and hard. It's easy because all you have to do is let go of all the other things that you're holding on to. And yet it's hard because we want to hold on to those things. It's hard because we want to boast in those things. But if you did, if you said, but by the grace of God go I, if you just accepted him, if you said, Jesus, I accept you, I now know I need you more than anything else out there. What you're doing in that moment is you're not accepting some cold, hard principle. You're accepting Jesus. His pers- his re- you have a relationship with him now. That means he's sweet to you. There's a warmth and a delight that comes out of that. That when you let his life and his action, his selflessness, move into your innermost being, please don't add to it. Please don't do Jesus plus something else. Let the radical, offensive, transforming nature of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ dwell in you and he'll start shading everything else in your life. He'll be able to see everything else through that. Because really, just there's only two options. There's the cross or something else to boast in. Will you boast in him or someone or something else? Last point. What are the results of this? If you did this, what would your life look like? And Paul, I think, in the second half of verse 14 tells us, he says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And the way he puts this phrase is important. Because he didn't say the world is dead. He didn't say the world is dead to you. You aren't dead, but you're dead to it. So this is an important distinction. If you walked around, you know, world, you're dead. You're not going to care about it. 
But if you said something different, if you said, hey, I care about this world, but you don't necessarily care about what the world thinks about you, that's what Paul's getting at. Nothing the world now throws at you. Whatever it throws at you won't ultimately unhinge you. It doesn't have an ultimate claim of authority in your life. In the past, I used to need the world. Now I don't. Think about all the times that you were ever very prickly. Why? Probably because something in the world was affecting you. But if the world doesn't have that claim on your life anymore, that changes. It doesn't control you anymore. Think about why we're cowardly. Why are we cowardly out in the world? It's because we're afraid of something being taken away or something has been taken away. But if you're a Christian, it's not I, it's not I have to have. It's I already have what I have to have. So job security, nice. Approval, nice. Health, nice. But you don't have to have those. That's what's so crazy is that if you have Jesus crucified for you, you boast of nothing but the cross, the equation for all values in your life are now reset. Nothing in the world is needed. It's nice to have, not needed to have. And there's amazing freedom in this. Last week I started touching on this, how if you let this get into your life, you, what most people normally spend most of their life trying to hide, you would show. See, freedom comes where people would normally cover up. You can reveal. Maybe you're a husband who gets easily flustered and you normally hide that. You can say and admit that to your, your spouse and others. Maybe you're a coworker who gets in petty fights. Maybe you're a child who doesn't like to admit when they're wrong. Maybe you're youthful and you're always clamoring for what's coming to me. Maybe you're older and there's regret about how life went. You see, if you can admit these things, this would be death for some individuals, but it's life for us. Because why? Because all it can do, if you are honest about these things, all it does is it shows one more reason why God had to live and die for you. It makes us boast more in the cross. A Sri Lankan minister put it better than I could. He said, if you get a cut on your knee, it doesn't heal. Any cut, anywhere. If it gets infected, and your body can't fight off that infection, you die. And, you know, this is something we probably don't talk about enough, but I think in our current state of things, this is present on our mind. It's amazing we don't think about it more. The knowledge that all, is it ta- all that it takes is one small cut, one small bleed. And if it gets infected, and you can't fight it off, you die. Which is crazy. Think about it. Any sliver of brokenness in this world, if it impales you and it gets infected, that brokenness can kill you. And so the question is, okay, why doesn't this happen more? Well, it doesn't happen more because go to the site of the infection. And there's a huge battle happening. Go to the site of, of, of all wounds. And if you are able to see it, you'll often see pus. Gooey, yellow pus. It's gross, but it's also actually glorious. Because it's millions of dead corpuses of white corpuscles who have given their lives for you. They've died so that you can live. They sacrifice themselves in the battle against infection. And without you even consciously knowing it, they died for you. In other words, etched into your body is the very idea that someone had to die so that you lived. 
It's almost as if God wrote the secrets of the universe into your DNA so that it was always around you. That it's in your blood. Every day this battle is waging, it's going on. So that you might know how this works. That even if you don't know how to confess this, your body confesses it every day. It gets this concept even when you don't get this concept. That there is always a cost to brokenness. There is always someone who has to bear the brunt of that pain. There's always somebody who has to pay the price of that debt. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one whom your immune system is pointing to right now. That he doesn't just die physically, he dies cosmically. He gets what we deserve, so we get what he deserves. Take this at the center of your life. Boast in him alone, nothing but the throne. And if you did that, you would have the heart of God, as we said. You say, well, how's that the heart of God? Seeing Jesus give up his life means that there's an unselfishness to Jesus. Sorry, to, to, to God. Because why? If God knows all and has existed from all time, that means from the very beginning, he must have known that he was going to have to die. That to give up his glory, he does so because he's seeking your glory. That gives us his heart. And if you take that heart into the center of your heart, it will change you. It will move you. It will remake you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a, a good word, Father. It's hard because we want to boast in so many other things. There's so many other things out there that we want to boast in. And, and yet, help us to only boast in you. Father, we need you. It's, we're, we're, in a, we're discombobulated. We have lost a lot of the things, freedoms that we thought we had, that we needed. Uh, and the world, you know, but Father, the, the world doesn't have a claim on us anymore. I pray that we would move this deeper into our heart of hearts. Help it soften us, how we deal with other individuals. Help it to give us a power and a, and a purpose that help, moves us out in the world more confirmed of your love, more able to love others. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our church's podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast and we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We're located at the corner of West 64th Street and Central Park West. More details can be found on our website, lincolnsquare.redeemer.com. Thanks again for listening to the LSQ Podcast.